All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creox Over Coffee. All right, so today we have two very special guests with us. We have both Liz Kettle, a certified nurse midwife, who's a teaching associate in obstetrics and gynecology in the Department of OBGYN at Brown University of Women and Infants Hospital. And we also have with us Linda Steinhart, certified nurse midwife, who's a senior teaching associate in obstetrics and gynecology in the Department of OBGYN at Brown and Women and Infants Hospital. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hi, Nick. Hi, Faye. Hello. So today, uh, Liz and Linda will be talking to us about external fetal monitoring. Great. So first, let's just go over our objectives for today. They're going to be to define the components of normal and abnormal fetal heart rate tracings, and then discuss how we assign patterns to the appropriate category for the NICHD, which is the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, which is like an NIH for children and fetuses. And then we'll do later a part two of this podcast, and at that time we'll describe the appropriate interventions for abnormal fetal heart rate tracings. Before we get started, let's just go over some of the background on the subject. The terminology is really important to just spend a minute talking about. We often use the terms electronic fetal monitoring or EFM and cardiotocography interchangeably. However, there's mounting evidence that the former is probably the more appropriate term that we should be using. But it's a mouthful, so I think for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to revert to calling it EFM. Using the term cardiotocography, though, is a nice reminder that uterine contraction monitoring is also part of our assessment here. It's a tool that's used in more than 85% of labors that take place in the United States, making it one of the most common obstetric procedures performed. The fetal brain modulates the fetal heart rate through interplay of sympathetic and parasympathetic forces. Therefore, fetal heart rate monitoring has come to be used as a way to determine if a fetus's brain is well oxygenated. It can be performed either externally as a Doppler device with computerized logic to interpret and count the Doppler signals or with a fetal scalp electrode. And there are specific guidelines according to the NICHD for the nomenclature and the guidelines of interpretation that we're going to be using. A normal fetal heart rate tracing virtually precludes ongoing hypoxic injury at the time it is observed it has exceptional negative predictive value. It is important to remember, however, that it is a screening test. It's not a diagnostic tool, and it's not even necessarily predictive of poor fetal outcome. So Liz and Linda, I mean, we use EFM every day on our labor floors. So let's go over the basics. What's the first thing that we want to look for on EFM? When talking about a fetal heart rate tracing, we are first going to comment on the baseline fetal heart rate and then describe the variability. We will next speak on the presence or absence of fetal heart rate accelerations and decelerations, noting the timing of the latter when present, early, variable, late, or prolonged. Before we put our findings into an NICHD category, we will make note of the timing and the duration of the uterine contractions. So now let's take a closer look at each of the components I just mentioned. For normal fetal heart rate baseline, 110 to 160 beats per minute for at least two minutes in any 10-minute segment. Greater than 160 is fetal tachycardia, and less than 110 is fetal bradycardia. Next, we comment on the variability or fluctuation of the heart rate around the baseline. Absent amplitude range is usually undetectable. 
Minimal amplitude is barely detectable, less than or equal to five beats per minute. Moderate or normal amplitude range is six to 25 beats per minute. Marked amplitude of greater than 25 beats per minute. So what do we know about variability? Moderate or normal variability generally rules out fetal acidemia. Transient loss of variability can be associated with benign conditions like a fetal sleep cycle or maternal medications like narcotics or magnesium. Persistent, absent, or minimal variability is concerning. So now that we've discussed the fetal heart rate baseline and variability, we can start to comment on whether or not we see accelerations or decelerations, which are visually apparent abrupt increases or decrease in the fetal heart rate. The onset to the peak or nadir is usually 30 seconds or fewer. To illustrate the concept of accelerations and decelerations, we thought we would play some sound clips to help conceptualize these elements. We hope you enjoy them. When we're talking about accelerations or abrupt increases, it is important to remember that gestational age of the fetus impacts what we expect to see with respect to our accelerations. At 32 weeks gestation and beyond, an acceleration can have a peak of 15 beats per minute or more above the baseline and can last 15 seconds or more. But before 32 weeks, we're really only expecting to see a 10 beat per minute rise above the baseline with a duration of 10 seconds or more. And there's also a good time to just mention a, the phenomenon of a prolonged acceleration, which would be an acceleration that lasts two minutes or more, but lasts less than 10 minutes. If it were to last more than 10 minutes, then we would consider it a change in the baseline. And if that happened to be above 160, we would consider it a fetal tachycardia. So the next thing we're gonna look at when we're taking a look at the strip is gonna be whether or not fetal heart rate decelerations are present. And if we see them, we're gonna to need to know what type they are because the type of deceleration that they are is hugely important in our interpretation of the strip and therefore our management of the tracing itself. Here, the higher tones represent the contractions and the lower tones represent the fetal heart rate. So the first kind of decel I'm going to mention is something called an early deceleration. And this is going to be a gradual, visually apparent decrease that is typically symmetrical um, that directly mirrors a contraction, usually 30 seconds or more. The nadir of the deceleration aligns with the peak of the contraction. Early decelerations are associated with fetal head compression and are often seen when a woman is either close to being fully dilated or she is fully dilating and pushing. They are clinically benign and they're not associated with fetal acidemia or neurologic injury. Later, when we talk about the interpretation, we'll remember that early decelerations are the only type of deceleration that can be seen in a strip that falls into the NICHD's category one. Next, we're going to talk about variable decelerations. V for variable. There are visually apparent decreases in the fetal heart rate that are typically abrupt, fewer than 30 seconds, and deep, greater than 15 seconds below the baseline. They appear to occur at random with no particular relationship to contractions. And here is an example of a variable deceleration 
where you have normal fetal heart rate and all of a sudden the fetal heart rate drops. They're often U, V, or W shaped. They are associated with cord compression. If we see them, it's really important to uh, assess whether they appear infrequent or isolated, or if they're recurrent. And of course, we all know that in the NICHD lingo, recurrent means occurring more than 50% of the time in a 20 minute period. Late decelerations are apparent gradual decreases and return to the fetal heart rate associated with contractions. Late decelerations are delayed in timing with the nadir occurring after the peak of the contractions and the resolution occurring after the contraction has ended. And remember, the higher tones represent the contractions while the lower tones represent the fetal heart rate. Late decelerations are associated with utero-placental insufficiency. Recurrent late decelerations require intervention. A uh, few words about a couple of more infrequently seen tracing patterns that we see. One would be um, a prolonged decel, and that's going to be a decrease in the fetal heart rate baseline by 15 beats per minute or more that lasts more than two minutes, but again, less than 10 minutes. They are often seen during second stage, and they can be difficult to interpret because they often span the period between the beginning and, and maybe even into the next contraction. A deceleration lasting greater than 10 minutes, though, is going to be considered a baseline change. And if that baseline rate is less than 110, it's going to be considered a bradycardia. And finally, just worth mentioning here is the sinusoidal pattern. It's extremely rare, um, but it's a pattern that in which the fetal heart rate baseline really seems to undulate around an imaginary baseline, never really spending that much time in the actual baseline. And it appears to look much like a sine curve. The cycle frequency is usually three to five beats per minute, and it needs to last 20 or more minutes to be considered a true sinusoidal pattern. And it is ominous. It's, un it's unfortunately associated with severe fetal acidemia. Okay, Liz, so that uh, wraps up the fetal heart rate. Now we're gonna talk about contractions. We comment on the frequency and duration of the contractions. We can only quantify the strength of uterine contractions when they have an intrauterine pressure catheter in place. If we are discussing the strength of contractions, we add up the peaks of each contraction within a 10-minute window in millimeters per mercury and report our findings in Montevideo units. Considering greater than 200 MVUs, or Montevideo units, adequate over a 10-minute period. Normal contraction frequency would be five or fewer within a 10-minute period, averaged over 30 minutes. Tachysystole is defined by more than five contractions within a 10-minute period, also averaged over 30 minutes. This same nomenclature applies to both spontaneous and stimulated labor. Next, let's learn how to put our findings into NICHD categories based on the 2008 recommendations made by ACOG, the National Institute of Health, and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. Great. Okay, so first I'll talk about category one. Category one is normal. These tracings are strongly predictive of normal fetal acid-based status. No specific action is required, and monitoring may be done in a routine manner. These patients may even qualify for intermittent auscultation, depending upon their clinical situation and your institutional protocols. 
When we have a category one tracing, we're going to see a normal fetal heart rate baseline with moderate variability. We may see accelerations, but we need not to be category one. And like we talked about before, you can have early decelerations and still have a category one tracing. They should be re-reviewed every 30 minutes during the first stage of labor and every five to 15 minutes during the second stage. And of course, you need to document your findings of your fetal heart rate tracing according to the protocol of your institution. Now we're gonna jump right into category three tracings, which convey an increased risk for fetal acidemia. A category three tracing has absent baseline fetal heart rate variability and any of the following. Recurrent late decelerations, recurrent variable decelerations, bradycardia, or the sinusoidal pattern we talked about earlier. And as you recall, Linda told us earlier that in NICHD language, recurrent means occurring more than 50% of the time in a 20 minute window. When you have a bradycardic category three tracing, that is associated with severe uh, neonatal acidosis, encephalopathy, cerebral palsy. It's important to remember that the predictive value of neurologic insult in a category three tracing is poor, however. Still needs to be acted upon, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the fetus is encephalopathic. And now we're going to talk about category two. Uh, and category two tracings include everything that doesn't meet criteria for categories one or three, and represents the majority of all the tracings we'll see. Category two tracings require more frequent evaluation, documentation, and continued surveillance unless they revert back to category one. Examples of category two tracings include baseline bradycardia with moderate variability, baseline tachycardia, minimal variability, isolated or infrequent variable decelerations. All right, thank you so much, Liz and Linda, our fairy god midwives. So Nick, let's go ahead and summarize. Sounds great. Linda and Liz took us first through a whirlwind of terminology and vocabulary that are essential for describing cardiotachography or fetal heart rate tracings. Remember the components whenever describing a tracing to somebody else include the baseline, the variability, the presence or absence of accelerations, and the presence, absence, and characteristics of decelerations, as well as a description of the frequency and, if applicable, the strength of contractions. So first we talked about the fetal heart rate baseline, where normal is between 110 to 160. More greater than 160 is fetal tachycardia, and less than 110 is fetal bradycardia. Variability can be defined as absent, meaning visually no variation, minimal, meaning the variation is between 1 and 5 beats per minute, moderate, which is between 6 and 25 beats per minute, or marked, which can be greater than 25 beats per minute. And then recall that persistent, absent, or minimal variability is concerning. We then talked about accelerations or abrupt increases in the fetal heart rate, and this can be different depending on the gestational age of the fetus. Remember that before 32 weeks, accelerations can be 10 by 10, or an increase above the baseline by 10 beats for 10 seconds. And after 32 weeks, accelerations must be at least 15 by 15. When we talk about decelerations, again, it's important to compare the deceleration with the contraction that it's related to. First, an early deceleration is a gradual, visually apparent decrease that's typically symmetrical with the contraction. A variable deceleration is a generally abrupt decrease in the fetal heart rate. This is usually deep, 
more than 15 beats below the baseline, and abrupt, usually less than 30 seconds. And remember, this is usually not associated with contractions. Finally, late decelerations are also apparent gradual decreases in return of the fetal heart rate that's associated with the contraction, but rather than an early that mirrors the contraction, late decelerations are delayed in timing with respect to the contraction. And finally, we talked about prolonged decelerations, which is a deceleration that lasts for more than two minutes. However, if a deceleration lasts for more than 10 minutes, we should consider a baseline change. We then talked about contractions. Remember that decelerations are usually in conjunction with contractions. However, the only way to actually measure the strength of contractions is to have an IUPC or an intrauterine pressure catheter in place. Finally, we talked about the NICHD nomenclature for categorizing tracings, where a category one tracing is a defined as normal tracing that's predictive of normal acid-base status, requiring moderate variability, with optionally accelerations or early decelerations. On the other hand, a category three tracing has absent variability and any of the following, including recurrent late decels, recurrent variable decelerations, bradycardia, or a sinusoidal pattern. Category two includes just about everything else. And we'll talk about how to manage these tracings in our next episode with Liz and Linda. So guys, if you liked what we had to say on this podcast, or if you enjoyed our fairy god midwives as much as we enjoy having them around, please show us all some love by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also find us on social media at Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1. You can find us on Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee or our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com. And finally, remember you can support us and get some cool Creogs Over Coffee swag at www.patreon.com slash Coffee. And of course, if you have any suggestions for us, any topics you'd like to hear, any corrections, you can email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. And thank you to Carrie Usula for our sound clips.